0: Thank you for tuning in to the mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stared on moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 Podcast. Hope everybody out there has been enjoying the holiday season. Uh, If you haven't already, please be sure to hit subscribe, follow along on your podcast platform of your choice. Um, If you have it in yet, drop a review. Um, You know, I want to make a quick call out over here. Uh, As you probably know, if you're tuned in, I recently released my second book, Audacious Uncaging Your Authentic Self. Uh, I am linking in a discount code for the book uh, with the show notes of this episode. Uh, And so for mile 40 listeners, I want to do you a solid and and give you a discount on the book. So check it out in the show notes. I am very excited about today's episode. Today's episode is featuring Andrew McPhail, Andrew is chief of staff at Chicatelli Associates, a nonprofit health and human services organization in New York City. He has nearly 20 years experience in nonprofit administration, operations, and system development. He has dedicated his career to improving the quality of healthcare and social services delivered to at-risk populations. Andrew received a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater from Western Michigan University and a Master of Public Administration in Nonprofit Management and Leadership from Baruch. Prior to his career, Andrew worked as a musical theater performer. After several years' pause, he returns to performing in 2024, and we're going to dig into that. Now, <laughs> this is where Andrew and I had met, and and this is the part of his bio that, that gets me excited. He's a passionate runner. Uh, he's completed his 20th marathon this past November. And that's actually where Andrew and I happen to run into each other. Uh, he's going to complete his sixth of the six world majors in Tokyo this coming March. He's a member of Front Runners New York, New York Roadrunners, and the Abbott World Marathon Majors Gold Club. Andrew lives a sober life. This February, he will celebrate 23 years alcohol-free. Now, Andrew... I want to give you the preface that I don't usually read the entire bios, but <laughs> your bio is going to encapsulate so much of what we're going to touch on today, and I felt like I had to run through it. So first and foremost, thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you for, for sure. It's great to be here.
0: Um, I really appreciate the fact that this last November at the New York City Marathon, uh, prior to uh, hitting the start line, uh, you had approached me at, at the uh, at the tent. Um, and for me, I never know how those interactions are going to go. Uh, because the truth of the matter is sitting in my seat, I'm not even really sure who's listening, who's watching, who, who's even paying attention. Uh, but you were so sincere in, in your approach and, um, you know, it really resonated with me. And then after you and I got to talking, I had been following along with your journey. Um, and you know, I saw the level of vulnerability you put out there with regards to in particular your sobriety journey. So that was the reason why I wanted to make sure that I reached out to you right away, because when I put two and two together, I knew you were a phenomenal runner. Um, You know, your performance stands for itself. But on top of that, I could tell there was a deeper layer uh, to your journey. Um, So I just want to say thank you to kick things off.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, That's really great to hear. It was so wonderful seeing you that morning after following you on uh, social media and being inspired by your story. So I'm so glad we had that opportunity.
0: Let's um let's take things back a little bit, right? And so I know that when we had talked before uh, this recording, you had told me about you know your professional journey and how um, essentially you were looking to pursue your career out of college um, when it came to the arts, and yeah. you were rerouted. Um, yeah. Let's walk the
1: audience through you know post college what went down. Sure, absolutely. I think it, it. actually we we need to go back a little bit further than that. Um, yeah. as, a, as a kid, I was always performing and singing and it was just no question that that's what I would do uh, in life. And so I continued along that path and uh, I, I studied musical theater in college. I moved to New York and I started what, um, what was, was looking to be a promising career, having a lot of fun and great opportunity and working. And, um, unfortunately, it did take a turn. Um, it's interesting. Um, i i will talk very openly about um uh repeated sexual abuse in my life and how that weighed on my decision to uh step back temporarily well as you said we'll get to that later um from my my career as a as a singer and as a performer um and it really what when i when i look back it's it's um unfortunate to realize that throughout my life i had um four perpetrators uh Of sexual abuse. Um, The first was at the age of 12 um, by a choir director, Mm -hmm. uh, and then at the age of 15 by a voice teacher, at the age of 20 uh, by a theater producer and director, and then at the age of 25 by a prominent Broadway casting director. Um, And when that last instance occurred, and it really Threatened my career. I I just stepped away and I decided out of fear that I would be blacklisted uh, and uh, my reputation be tarnished by someone in such a position of power that um, I just decided that I, I couldn't take it and I needed I needed to stop sort of with an understanding that I would someday return and continue to explore that passion, which I really believe I was put on the earth to do. Um, A little bit about just the instance, I won't go into it too deeply, but I um, was being considered for a role and was invited to audition uh, and the casting director then invited me to dinner and that led to drinks. I was then invited to this individual's apartment Um, where, unfortunately, at some point, I blacked out and uh, woke up at some point. I don't really know how much time had passed and fled. Um, And then the next day when I had a conversation with the individual, I was looking for some clarity of of what happened. I didn't receive that. Uh, The conversation did not go very well, as you can imagine. Um, and it was when I declined a subsequent invitation to get together with this individual that I was asked, uh, was I not worried about my career? Mm. And so really, after that, I, I abandoned the performing career that, again, that fear of being blacklisted um, by someone in uh, such a position of power um left me terrified. And uh, I just I I. I jumped ship, um, and it was it was in that moment that I, I I asked myself, my gosh, how did this happen? Like again and again in my life, and the really sad and unfortunate piece is that each of these individuals was brought into my life because of my talent and because I had a gift that these folks were. Uh, you would hope they would help uh, cultivate, um, and and while that's a very sad thing to think about, um, I'm glad that I came to that realization. That was really years later, after the Harvey Weinstein stories broke, and in listening to those those young women share their stories, I was just, it, it just you know the, the the light bulb clicked, and I thought. My gosh, you know, artists, performers, singers, what have you, we're all waiting for that one big break, right? And I mean, we do anything for that break because once it happens, you know, your your career has really started. And so... Of course, you're going to find yourself in a situation where um, you would be in a private uh you know setting with an individual who yields that power. Um I've I've really spent a lot of time um through therapy and, and uh studying on um sexual uh, perpetrators, sexual assault, how the perpetrator of avi- uh, Identifies victims who seem vulnerable and maybe have low self-esteem, and an obedient or compliant personality, and then they gradually, gradually gain that victim's trust by showing them special attention and providing lavish praise, uh, lending a sympathetic ear. Um, and then they manipulate that relationship to create a dependence um, and an intimacy. And uh, they oftentimes will convince the victim that they're special. And then also they make clear to the individual that they hold something that only they can give to the victim. In this case, the power of you know being in a in a show in a film, what, what, whatever. And then they find opportunities to be alone with, with the victim. So, in really learning about that, it, it's helped me to... Um, it's given me great peace. Uh, and it, it's made me understand, you know, victims, we oftentimes tend to find out, what was it that I did wrong? Or how did I find myself in these situations, time and again? Um, and it's really powerful to read other people's stories, to hear other people's stories, to know that you're not alone. Um, and that's a big reason why I'm grateful to you to have this conversation because I, I hope that other folks will hear that barrier, that obstacle, and then realize that, wow, there's there's ways to get get through that and get over that and get across that and to, uh, as a result, succeed. Um, so so that's really how I how I gave up my my career. Um, which uh, at that point, I had already been um, catering as a way to make some, some money while I was performing. Um, and I just decided to kick that up and took a management position um, in the catering industry as a way to kind of save money and figure out what I was going to do with my life. Um, and then unfortunately, it was also at that time, which was the original question, that my drinking really escalated. Um I I use that as a way to, um, you know, uh, escape the trauma and to um, to numb the pain from from the situation, um, and that's really where my my drinking became mm. a problem. Mm.
0: There's, I mean, most important thing that I need to say right now is I just need to to thank you for your your vulnerability, and I don't know if you've publicly shared all of this i know that you've been vulnerable with your audience before but you know you just unpacked a lot um and you know on a personal level i'm i'm grateful that you trust me with with your story and i'm also thankful that you're shining a light on something so personal that i'm sure impacts so many others um i want to i want to dive in a little bit deeper not necessarily into the specific situation that happened in your mid 20s but maybe take us further back let's talk about childhood let's talk about your parents uh and let's talk about maybe in in those initial instances did you have anyone to lean on or was this all just kind of held up in your own
1: head for a long time um it it was mostly held up in my head i was raised um in 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 the catholic church and as we know there's. Mm Certainly documented. There's a lot of abuse that happens there. Um, I did not experience that. Well, one of the the music teachers was an employee of the Catholic Church, but I I no one was talking about this then. So no, I, I didn't talk about it. Um, I did share uh, the instance when I was was 15 with this this voice teacher um, with a family member who. Um, took me to speak with the priest who was in charge of the parish where this person was employed. And I didn't really get the results that I think, uh, I should have. Um, I don't think it was addressed. We were told to please not talk about this, that the priest would deal with that, um, with the individual. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. Um, no, I, I really I really haven't shared a lot of this. I haven't shared it certainly with the public. I've talked to uh, a couple family members since, but as a kid, I didn't. I mean, there's really a um, um uh, I'm sure what you've heard or read about sexual abuse, particularly with children. There's such fear, and there's such shame and there's yeah. such uh, fear about speaking oftentimes the perpetrator can really create such a strong sense of fear um and shame and uh so no i i didn't i didn't have the opportunity to talk about that later as an adult when i went through some uh vigorous therapy with um a specialist who deals particularly with uh sexual abuse in childhood and and also other forms of trauma that I realized um why I didn't. You know, I always kind of had thought, oh, I should have, I could have, but as a kid, you don't have the wherewithal. So yeah. um I wasn't really able to share that with folks in my family until years later. And just with a couple. Fortunately, I have a mother who from day one, uh, I have always been aware uh that I'm loved and supported. Um unconditionally, despite her childhood upbringing. So that was a wonderful gift that I think not every kid has. So I I think that certainly helped me get through. Um, But no, to talk about it publicly now is so important. Um, I think particularly with boys and young men, there's additional stigma around um, sexual abuse. But, um, you know, statistically, I think one in six boys are uh, sexually abused, and I think the statistic is as high as one in three for young girls. So I think it's something that's very important to talk about. One hundred percent. Let's contextualize
0: for the audience a little bit. How old are you now?
1: I'm fifty two. Believe Amazing. it. Or not. Oh my God! I can't for anyone it. who's watching, on,
0: <laughs> for anyone who's watching on YouTube, I'm sure your jaws are about to hit the ground because you can't believe it. Uh,
1: but um, you know with regards to the there's an element to that
0: journey that's very lonely right like you you have something bottled up that you know has significantly impacted you you're probably trying to make sense of how it's impacted you i bet and correct me if i'm wrong and i don't want to make any presumptions sure let's talk about how it impacted your own relationships growing up, right? Like your own, um, quest or search for partnership, uh, right. um, you know, afterwards. Right. Cause it, and again, I don't want to, I want to be very careful about how I say this. I don't want to say, okay, like it happens once and then maybe you work through it and then you're fine. It's not how it works. It's something right. that's going to be consistently, you know, in the back of your mind. And And in your case, it happened more than once. Yes. Um, and so can you walk us through your own, you know, quest for partnership throughout that period and how um, your experiences impacted that and maybe walk us in even until today?
1: Absolutely. Yes, I was going to say to this day, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a there's a sense of trust that really is not um fully uh, developed or established. Um, it certainly had, and I think in many ways, has negatively impacted my um my comfort uh, with intimacy. Um, That's a common theme um, that folks experience, Um, you know, to make oneself vulnerable and to then be sort of um, have that taken advantage of repeatedly, especially. It really does a number on a kid's head and then a young adult's head and then the adult mind. Um, and it's, it's something that requires required for me. I want to be careful just to share my story and not make assumptions about others. For me, it really took a lot of hard, deep work. Um, as I mentioned with a therapist, um, and really to understand that I am lovable and that I'm worthy. Uh, that I'm deserving, uh, of love and that I'm able to give love. That's another thing. You know, we can, we can tend to shut ourselves off from expressing love because of that fear that it'll be, you know, ripped away. Um, so it, 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 it has impacted my, my life as far as relationships and, um, as far as intimacy. Um, and also it's made, that awareness, it may sound uh, odd, but that awareness has also made me realize that my relationships with family, friends, loved ones, they feel so much more powerful to me because they're based and rooted in honesty and vulnerability and love. And... um To open oneself up to loving and being loved can be a really hard chore. Um, It has been for me. It had been for me. And to reach a point in my life to understand that I'm lovable and able to give love, that's a rather powerful gift. It's been,
0: let's call it 27, 28 years. Right, it's twenty four to fifty two. So, yes, it, the, as you look on, back on it now, is that chapter still ongoing? Is it closed? How do, how do you look at that chapter of your life right now? I know it's 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 not something that's going to go away, but if you were to be writing your own memoir right now, yeah, based on the years of therapy and the self work, yeah. What would you say about that chapter? Is that it's, it's a chapter that never ends or it's a chapter that now that you've done the work, you're really only looking forward.
1: It's a dark chapter, an unfortunate chapter. The period has empowered me. It may sound uh, unbelievable, you know, for people to understand It's empowered me because I was really forced. I wasn't forced. I chose to dig deep. Mm. I chose to understand why I chose to understand um, because I knew it wasn't right. I, I really dug deep and chose to understand more about myself and having made the realization that I'm a good person. Okay, so now what is does what the life of a good person look like? What are some areas that perhaps I've been denying myself for years? And so that's been incredibly empowering. I don't know if those instances had not happened. Yeah. Uh, if I would have come to that realization. That's the way that things did happen. And I'm really grateful for that, uh, that sense of empowerment that came out of struggle and such great obstacle.
0: I, I want to make sure that, um, your, your story is, is so incredible and this could easily be a three-part episode. Uh, I want to, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, every time I want to like Ask a question to take us to the next topic. I just keep thinking of another question, but I think these questions are so important and I really want to tackle them. Let's talk about your identity between, you know, being a youngster and, and let's call it 30 years old. Were you secure in your identity throughout, you know, the the period where you had these, you know, horrible experiences, or were you still in a place where you were still trying to figure out who who am i um you know during that period
1: definitely the latter yeah, yeah. i was trying to figure out who i was um, and especially with abandoning a dream and a career that uh, had been my my base yeah it was really uh threw me for a loop I yeah. was like, who am I, you know? Because you were always going to be the performer. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I love this, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. That absolutely.
0: was, it's essentially, you know, I mean, you can measure it up with an athlete who who ends up, you know, kind of having to walk away from a sport that, that it's like a, yeah, I mean, I don't want to compare it specifically analogy. to like an injury, but it's like it's like an athlete who want, who just wakes up one day and learns I can never play the sport absolutely. that I had been training for my whole life. Uh, Yes.
1: And I must say there, yes, absolutely. And also, thank goodness, uh, because it was not from a physical uh, situation like losing a limb or or what have you with an athlete. I can do that again. And I am doing that again. So, um, you know, what I thought perhaps the door had been permanently shut, although in the back of my mind, I... I'd always thought, well, someday. I mean, how could I not? Um, such a part of you know my my core, my fiber. Um, but then to 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 think that something was over, then to have the opportunity to revisit that in a much stronger place um, is again quite a gift.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. If you know me, you know that I like to look good and feel good. As an endurance athlete who trains daily, I need my wardrobe to fit the mold. Roan creates performance-driven clothing for your active lifestyle. Each piece is designed for versatility and made with integrity to outfit you for an active life lived on your own terms. The Roan promise is to help you move forever forward. Use code MILE40 for 20% off online and in-store for new customers only. Visit www.roan.com. That's Roan spelled R-H-O-N-E. Or find your local store and move forever forward starting today. So, you know, you had mentioned you're making your comeback officially in 2024. <laughs> um, what have you been doing to keep that muscle alive? um you know over the last 30 years
1: well it's interesting not much the first maybe five to ten and i've always enjoyed singing and kept you know kept my kept my voice in shape just by you know singing around the house or in the shower or what have you, you know, i just love singing um and it really was i don't want to get ahead of ourselves here but it really was through my running community that i had the opportunity this past year to to get up and and perform in front of an audience for the first time in i don't know how many years and the feeling you know hitting that stage and 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 and, and singing and that that feeling and the rapport the energy with the audience and the feedback Mm. It was so encouraging and beautiful also coming from my running community front runners new york um in a safe place with safe people who you know we support one another was just fantastic and i thought oh my goodness this is like another gift that has come from running so um i'm i'm working with a, a music director who will, will will put together a show and I don't know where and when this year, but it's happening, and we've committed to it. So that's something that's incredibly exciting. I feel like uh, reaching that point, like a, you know, the weight of the world is lifted off of me. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm free again to <laughs> to do this. And who knows what will come of it? the The difference now is that I've I've built a uh, another. Incredible career at a wonderful organization and incredible people, um, and so the difference is that it's not something that I feel I desperately need. I don't have to book a show or have to, you know, to to earn a paycheck or or to make a living. Um, it's something that I can pursue from my passion for performing, and to have that balance just feels it feels great. I love that for, for
0: so many reasons. I mean, you know, you touch on the power of, of the running community, which can just stretch forward to so many other, you know, communities tied into fitness and, and kind right. of, uh, you know, the, the level of empowerment and and the ability to really dig deep within, uh, in that mm-hmm. community, because the truth is when it comes to the fitness world, everybody is waking up daily and realizing, you know, they're capable of something that at one point maybe they thought they were no longer capable of, or that they just weren't capable of in general. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. And just to see that um, is, is awesome. Um, and another thing that really stands out about your comeback, if you will, is the fact that you had mentioned earlier that the industry was mired by situations similar to yours. And I don't want to make big generalizations and we all, you know, followed the headlines during uh, the Me Too movement and and all yes. of that. But I, I do want to educate perhaps people that are not in the industry that are listening to the show today. Right. Sure. And I want them to get a sense of um you know how much of what we saw during that that era was running rampant. How much of it was more so just exceptions and just really bad people? Just mm-hmm. so they can understand, you know, the industry um, and and your story and really the the power of your story. And the other thing is, I do think that watching you succeed next year because you will succeed next year is going to lay a phenomenal cornerstone for someone else who was impacted this way in the past, who is going to say. If he did it, then I can do it. And I I can get back to the thing that I love. So I'll let you answer as you feel with that. And then I I do want to dive in a little bit
1: into um, your alcohol journey. Sure. Absolutely. So about the Me Too movement and and, and the way I understood your question is... um, before that came to light, was this something maybe that was was happening in the industry? Is that, is that what you're...
0: Yeah, and, and, and just yeah. your take as someone who's been in the industry, someone who's been yeah. impacted by it, yeah. just to kind of give the audience, uh, because again, the majority of the audience here is going to be coming from the fitness world. Right. Um, there might be some, uh, you know, in the performing arts world. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. But
0: everyone's just following the headlines. So we can't tell what's like, you know... That's right. What's That's a generalization right. and what's not.
1: Yes, I think it is common unfortunately mm-hmm. um uh as I mentioned before with with you know young kids and and uh, predators can identify folks who are vulnerable who are looking for something that only they can give them um and then, as folks are young adults or adults, like I mentioned, if someone's holding the key to your career um you find yourself, yourself in situations where you can be taken advantage of. Um, And so, yes, my experience with friends who work in the industry is that it is, it is it's not uncommon. Yeah. And then also um, there's not a whole lot. uh, And I don't know, I really want to study more and learn more, more about this, but I don't think that there is a whole lot of folks talking about this when it happens to gay men. Mm. My initial, um, ideas around that is based on that sort of unfortunate historical given that, um, there's already so much stigma, so much fear, so much misunderstanding, um, about, uh, uh, you know gay men and 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 of course just from the beginning of time right folks have sort of been um, hidden and and you know it's not been discussed again out of out of fear and ignorance but i i don't think that as many uh gay men perhaps talk about this yeah uh, because there's that added element of societal shame that's been such a part of uh the world for a long while um you know i think that certainly has gotten better and better i think the past maybe four eight years or so we've sort of slid back but um you know that that can be silenced we'll continue to grow as a society and to learn and understand but it is it is common in the industry um and um i think that there hasn't been also from what i've seen as much talk about it in the Broadway casting community as there has been in the film community, maybe because, um, you know, Hollywood is such a bigger, larger story that would make headlines more The the theater and Broadway community. Perhaps it doesn't sell as many headlines, but I'm really not aware. I mean, there've been a couple, but there's not been as much, uh, whistleblowing, I think in the, in the theater and the Broadway community.
0: Yeah. You know, I just, it it has my head just thinking a lot about like, you know, checks and balances and, uh, you know, what are, uh, what is the industry doing to be better about this? And why or how is it the fact that, you know, one person can have so much control and, you know, at the end of the day, you're right. it, it it's It's also a scaling thing, right? Like, you know, when you think about a big Hollywood production versus a Broadway show versus something even more local, the lower you go down, the more that control could really sit with like one person. Yes. Uh, yes and, absolutely. you know, you, you touched on uh, a really important point too, around the fact that unfortunately, you know, we, we both, I think will agree that we hope that society is moving in the right direction. Uh, yeah. But when it does come to gay men too, it, there's another element to this that um, makes the, it makes the progress seem even darker, you right, know, I mean, right, to, yeah. to put it directly, put it bluntly, bluntly there. Right, um, right. Absolutely. And so I, I really appreciate you bringing all this to light. Um, I, I want to make sure we touch on everything. So where I want to <laughs> go from here is you had talked about the fact that it was in your mid-20s after that occurrence where you really started to spiral uh, when it came to drinking. Right. Just walk us back a little bit. When did drinking start for you?
1: Uh, It started at 15.
0: Okay. Yeah. And it was, was it just more around like socializing or was there anything else that brought you into drinking at a younger age?
1: No, I think, I think it was mostly socializing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were, you know, situations, things, events um, that, I really view drinking or any type of uh, substance use, unless it's purely social. There are folks who can go and have a drink or two with friends, and everything's fine. But I, I, I was always more of an excessive type. It started socially, of course, with you know kids, but um, it was always a little bit uh, excessive with me. And I, I think that folks who use a substance excessively. It's usually to hide uh, yeah. something, to mask some pain, to get over some trauma. There was nothing major. I mean, until I was twelve. So actually, as I'm speaking, I'm realizing sure there was something major, but but I didn't think of drinking as escaping from the the first um, two instances of, yeah. of the abuse. Um, but this is a very good question, and I'm realizing as we speak, yeah, that probably you know uh, had had a lot to do with it i didn't it really wasn't until later um after i i quit performing that I, f- that I knew it was a problem yeah yeah
0: you know it's it's interesting i I brought this up on the show before um i as of like this month have gone a year with zero alcohol oh and, wow. yeah great, and you know my my story is a little bit different because when I kind of decided to, to stop drinking kind of was a natural progress. I was doing a dry January and then I found out I was running Boston in April. So I said, okay, let me stay you know, dry until right. April came. And then I had Michael Chernow on the show. And uh, I don't know if you know his story, but yes. it involved a lot of alcohol and drug abuse. And I was, you know, just kind of enlightened listening to his episode about it. And I, I've always wanted to be you know, the most high-performing individual that I could be. And I said to myself, this is someone who I really respect, admire. He's extremely vulnerable and authentic. And, you know, maybe if I, you know, don't drink, it'll enhance my overall performance as a father, as a husband, as a, you know, writer, podcaster, whatever it may be, runner. And... So I said, okay, like, I'm, I'm just going to keep this going. And in my head, I was like, okay, let me see if I could push this for a year. And I did as of like, literally this recording, we're at a, we're at a year. Uh, <laughs> great, great. But what's, what's been interesting to me over this period of time is over and over again, I have had to, or I've subconsciously analyzed my relationship with alcohol. Like, did I really need to be drinking as much as I was drinking prior? And I will admit, you know, the the last couple of years, I actually didn't drink too much. We had a baby, so things were kind of slowing down. But I I think I I rewind even further back where I was probably drinking a little bit heavier. And, you know, as I continue to think through it, I uncovered more and more about my relationship with alcohol and where my mind would go you know, on those nights where I maybe had one too many drinks and I would reveal insecurities that I'd had and I would reveal things that I was hiding and I'd reveal, you know, the darker thoughts that I had.
1: Mm. And
0: it it was really, really interesting to me because as it was happening, I, I never thought it was as negatively impactful as it was. Right but now, looking back on it, like I can kind of say, like, and and maybe it's because, you know, I'm in a much more secure place in life. I'm I'm happily married. I, I have a daughter that I love very much. I've I've built this platform that I'm very proud of, um, and I'm at a point where I don't really care what anyone thinks. Right. Um, right.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. But it, it, it's it's interesting to me that again, as I think back, alcohol did a very big role in masking a lot of those feelings.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a rather immediate escape. Yeah. And so in in your
0: journey, because let's get to the point where you decided, I got to stop. And and then we can go from there. So walk us through
1: there. Okay. Well, first of all, I just want to say how wonderful, what a great gift to give to your child. Thank you. Um, to be fully present and not have to ever wonder, oh, is is this uh, an issue? I uh, before I stopped, I would think, oh, do I have a problem? Don't I have a problem? And then when I stop, you know, am I an alcoholic? Was I an alcoholic? All those questions. It doesn't matter because the alcohol is eliminated from my life, and that's such a beautiful thing. It's like, it doesn't matter. I'm free. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that about your journey. Um, when, when I, when I ultimately decided to drink, so I, I was, you know, for about five years, you know, working and making decent money as a young person and drinking and drinking and escaping and escaping. Um, and unfortunately, right before my 30th birthday, um, my oldest brother, who was just a phenomenal man, uh, incredible human being, um, and who uh, also was an alcoholic, um ended his life mm. and um that loss was um just horrific yeah. um, my world was really turned upside down um and i realized in that moment there was no denying that i had a problem i think looking um that his problem, and he and I had talked about it and our drinking, and at some points I wasn't, and he was, and he wasn't, and I was and to lose him to such a um, horrible disease was a uh, game changer for me, yeah, and it also was as I mentioned right before my thirtieth birthday, I was starting a new decade in my life um, and I decided I couldn't it was that was too too much. I could no longer justify having alcohol in my life, whether I thought I had a problem or not. I did I don't have a problem. But that that was the the catalyst for change. And that was really when I eliminated alcohol and nicotine from my life um on my on my 30th birthday. And began my you know my my sober life um which can be a challenging process you know um it was for me in many ways um but nonetheless that was the the end of it and and moving forward i wanted to be present and sober uh clear-headed and truly deal with the pain and the trauma that was trapped in my body that's uh, thank you for sharing that and you know I couldn't even imagine and um you know I'm sure
0: people listening to this podcast are like Oof, that's a lot in thirty years that's a yeah. lot in thirty years of life to have to uh, to deal with uh, yeah. and mm-hmm. to uh internalize and Rationalize and act on,
1: did you have any other siblings, or was it just you and your brother? Yes, I have a brother who's uh, another incredible guy. he's an educator in Ann arbor, Michigan, and just uh, one of the most peaceful, loving individuals you'll ever meet. Um, so we have each other mm. um, and um, nieces and nephews and um, some real incredible family members who uh, I I love deeply and who, uh, you know, we, we've stuck together and um, the relationships have strengthened and grown over the years. I think uh, something that can come from such deep loss and grief is, um, if one chooses, is to really embrace what you have and to celebrate and nurture the relationships that that you have and the love that exists among family that's been something that has been important to me particularly in the last few years I, for a while i just kind of had to unplug and get away and do my own thing i you know, there were times where i was angry and understandably or you know with yeah. a million other emotions but um but i've come around and have um come to realize the importance of continuing to cultivate those relationships with the people that I love and who I know truly love me. So that's another gift that can come out of tragedy. 100%. Yeah. Um,
0: Were you surrounded by anyone else who was impacted uh, by alcoholism besides, you know, potentially your brother or was it just you two?
1: Well, alcoholism runs in my family. Um, And so I've seen a lot of people who, uh, exhibited behaviors of alcoholism and, um, I'd seen it have a negative impact on people and relationships. So, um, I, I, I was aware uh, of, of that. And often was uh, often aware of it. I could, you know, if I was in the setting where it was negatively impacting people or situation, I was very attuned to that. So, um, so yeah I, I was aware of it and and it was something that affected my mother's family uh deeply. She lost her father um to alcoholism at a young age and um and then also on on the other side of my family um so i i I'd seen it and uh, was aware of of alcoholism and it its negative effects yeah. so
0: you know that leads me to my next question around. You know your brother. Your brother passes. It's it's an incredibly an incredibly difficult circumstance to have to face on your own. How would you explain to the audience the decision to move in the right direction versus using alcohol to numb this tragedy? Right? Yeah. Like yeah, <laughs> that, it's that, it's rather very, very difficult.
1: Yeah, it's rather simple. Um, When I lost Matthew, I just couldn't lie to myself anymore. I didn't have that ability. I didn't, it just, I had to, I had to stop lying to myself. Yeah. It was a rather immediate awareness. You know, I had to not live that lie and eliminate that. who knows what it would have, could have done to me. But again, it doesn't matter. I did. I just, you know, soon after I turned 30 and that was, that was it.
0: Yeah. You know, you talk about, uh, the experience you had with abuse and how uh, looking back and, and, and going through it, there are elements of guilt and shame. Yeah. And you talk about this experience um was there similar feelings of you know processing guilt and shame over your journey with alcohol um you know looking back on it or was it different emotions that perhaps you were uh dealing with i mean i i again like when i when i speak about my own experience i definitely would have done things differently yeah <laughs> you yeah. know like Weird. i i i You know, like I'm not one that has many regrets, uh, but I, again, over the last year, just kind of like random thoughts spurring through my mind around random things that took place when I was in a different place in life. Uh, I don't want to say that like I have deep shame, but I definitely have feelings of yeah, like I I probably would have done things differently if I had known what I
1: know now. Yeah, absolutely. I I do too. I did too. Um, you know, you think of things that happened when you had a few too many, or yeah. situations you found yourself in. Um, and uh, if I may, not yeah. uh, I'm not a, I'm not a, a trained uh, therapist, but I think those those little those little reminders are sort of glimpses of a time that is past, and so. Uh, I encourage you. I encourage myself. I encourage anyone, you know, not to dwell in those moments. Yeah. I think they're they're great reminders of who we are today and why and how much stronger we are today. Um, they can be fine to remind us, but but I certainly uh, don't encourage anyone to dwell on them because they they're really I I sometimes if they pop up, I'll say, oh, I let that thought return to the nothingness from which it came. You know, it's like in the past, it's like it's done. I didn't do anything. You know, egregious or disastrous. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I, I relate to you. I, I, I thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, we have those thoughts. It's like, Oh, did I, did I really say that? I really do that. Um, and again, that's, uh, certainly not the, the man I am today. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, you, you're spot on with
0: that. And I, I think that one of the things I love about this episode is the fact that There's so much to be gained and it's so far ranging in terms of application uh, where there's probably someone out there listening who's at their own stage in this cycle, um, who's now hearing it. And from two completely different people, meaning me and you who had two completely different experiences um, who are coming to uh, similar realizations uh, around it. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to have, you know, different experiences. I, you know, I could speak for myself. Sometimes it, it's hard for me to look at some of my more recent successes, even, you know, just kind of looking at, at these books and and kind of yeah. thinking, how's this the same guy that did whatever, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And Absolutely. there's got to be someone that knew me 15, 20 years ago that thinks this guy's, you know, a a con artist. And then there's that guy. (laughs) So, so, you know, like there's, and again, similar to you, I I don't believe I did anything egregious or, you know, (laughs) malicious or evil. uh, But that is, you know, the power of, of alcohol, the, the drug uh, essentially. And so um, I want to make sure that now we touch on the good stuff
1: yes let's so, nice do it they're running well, we've been talking
0: for like 45 50 minutes here oh and goodness. hopefully people have continued to tune in but <laughs> you my friend are about to complete uh your six star um, uh, oh,
1: and i'm so excited <laughs> let's
0: talk about your running journey because yeah. you know like i said when i kick things off here you've got a phenomenal track record you know you're in Excellent shape. Uh, and you're putting up some pretty impressive numbers. Um, um so let, let's talk you. about the running journey and and really the overall fitness journey and when it started because uh was fitness ever a part of your younger life?
1: Not a whole lot. I I played a, a few sports here and there and never uh, really enjoyed many of them. Uh, you know, I did like a, a a season of baseball and a season of track and a season of uh uh, maybe a couple seasons of swimming. It wasn't really a big part. Um, I always, I think my parents encouraged me to try things and, uh, Oh, also soccer. There are some some funny stories. I was never really a star athlete. It was very, very much, a you know, like a team, a team cheerleader, and, you know, an optimist and, you know, keeping the team optimistic. But as far as my own personal performance, I was never. No, I, I wasn't a, an excellent athlete, um, but uh, running, I I actually happened upon in a very unexpected way. Um I I had a friend who was training for a 5k and she asked me if I'd run with her. And I, I said, are you out of your mind? I, I you know, I didn't enjoy running. i had run that one season of track in high school. And as I mentioned, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, and wasn't so great at it, but I, I did run with her and then ran like a second time or third time with her. And she commented on my great running form, which I had no idea what that uh-huh. meant. But, um, I I enjoyed how it made me feel it was just you know I, as you know be the all that you know when it clicks and you're just you're in that place that you know words can't really describe and the endorphins are going and you you hit that point of uh, there's for me it's a mental and a physical and almost a spiritual uh click you know that that just happens I really really loved it um and I was hooked. I uh, I'm I'm really grateful to my friend Maggie for for <laughs> getting me to run with her those few times. Um, and it was uh, I, I think I ran I did I ran a marathon about right around a year after that. Um, and I've just been I've been running ever since. I've I I love it as you mentioned. I just completed my twentieth. Marathon, uh, New York, where I had the pleasure of seeing you that morning. Um, And it's just, it was uh, an incredible gift. I'm like, wow, who knew? You know, I had no idea, like, to have this passion and this this need uh, when Runners World magazine wrote a, a nice uh, feature um, you know, as part of their training team for this year's marathon. And um, they asked folks to share about their running and how running has helped them overcome obstacles in life. And, and so I was selected to be part of that team. And when they when they shared the story, I, I talked about that, how, um, you know, wh- wh- just what an unexpected gift. Yeah, to to have that and to it's just such a part of who I am, you know, and yeah. what I do and the community that I've become a part of. As you know, I mean, we go to all those those races throughout the year, or you bump into someone on sandline before the marathon, and it's just such a beautiful, powerful sense of family for me. It's like you know, we understand each other. We're we're a we're a rare breed, you know. We, uh, yeah. we we get up early in the morning to go, in, you know. <laughs> Right. We, we pay
0: to put ourselves through <laughs> exactly. adversity and we do it and we do it
1: again and, and we do it again. And we do it again. I I it again. You, but there have been a couple of marathons where you've crossed, I've crossed the finish line and I'll say that's the last one. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. And then, you know, probably within a matter of hours, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're looking for that next, race. <laughs> the next I, I, race. I learned to
0: stop saying that uh, over yeah, time. I but I but you're, you're, <laughs> abso- you're absolutely right. Um, and you know one of the things that sticks out, sticks out about you and, and where you've come in terms of the running circuit is, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I'm going to botch the wording here, but you're you're a man of extremes, right? And so you know, you went from being an alcoholic to being a 20 time marathoner,
1: right <laughs> And it's, it's not
0: like I ran a marathon after recovering yeah. from alcoholism. It's like right. I. I now finish my 20th marathon and I'm going to complete the six world majors. Um, and so I have to imagine you went from a period of, like we discussed, not really understanding your identity to yeah. a period of, you know, probably the deepest introspection during all these solo runs. And, yeah. you know, that, that's something that stands out to me in in, in my seat kind of understanding um, about the running world, understanding the power of the running world. And although my background was different, I had my own adversity and I realized the power of that introspection. Once I um, started embracing, you know, the world of endurance sports and in particular running. And so, um, you know, for, for the listeners out there, I'm sure who you are as a runner today is not the same person who started running, you know, however many years ago when you went on that run with her. Um no, so, no. <laughs> Yeah. And so I, I kind of want to dive into that a little bit. And I, I want you to tell me um, at what point the love affair really kind of
1: soaked in. Well, the training for my first marathon was terrifying. Um, And not really terrifying. Yeah, it was. It was just because I, I was, you know, I, I had like this 16 week plan. I can tend to be very, um, uh, hard on myself and uh, tend to maybe be a bit of an overachiever with certain things. And so, you know, as you mentioned, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. So to commit to that was in a way, in a way terrifying. Um, but really crossing that finish line that first marathon in Philadelphia, I just what I experienced during the marathon and the uh, I'll call it a the, the beautiful insanity you experience. You know, you see such extremes, you know, you yeah. see these uh athletes cross in, you know, a little over two hours and you see other people barely walking like mile 10, and you see, you know, such um just such a variance, but all of that I love I just love it because I mean, as I'm sure you've experienced for sure you're on the you're running a race or a marathon and there's someone who's struggling and you like genuinely from your heart and soul you say to them, you got this, you got this come on, let's go you yeah I often say to people embrace the light, just get to the get to the finish line like it's such a genuine supportive uh, you know, form of love and support. Um, I really was hooked from the first marathon crossing the first finish line. Yeah.
0: I love that. And you know, you're, you're spot on. I mean, um, a couple episodes ago I had Kaylee Williamson on, um, and you know, I said it then and I'll say it again, that, that was one of, if not the best episode I've ever recorded because she truly, you know, it moved me. And I watched that video over and over and over again of her crossing the finish line. And it was a true ode to humanity yeah. to see um, her do it. And, you know, I joke about it now, but you know, I, I when I had her on, I, I, I botched her bio. She finished 21 half marathons. And I'm like, geez, like I, you know, like wow. we don't realize what we're truly capable of until right. we put ourselves in these, you know, highly uncomfortable um, you know, positions and uh, right. to see yeah. someone like Kaylee represent everything you just talked about um, yes. of course and, 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 you know, just the different backgrounds and and circumstances and, you know, right. probably the internal adversities that you and I know nothing about, uh, yeah. you know, right. as we pass by these runners, it really is a testimony to the power of not only the human body, but the human spirit. Yes. Uh, absolutely.
1: Um, Yeah, two two quick things about that. I I, when I was in London, I often love to go back after running and cheer folks on. Yeah, when I was in London, I like went back to my hotel. I took a shower. Of course, I was exhausted. I wasn't ready to eat. I was still a little nauseous, and I just I needed to get back out there. And I went and I stood about a mile from the finish line, and was cheering people on. And it was the most beautiful feeling. Like I was just moved, you know, to tears—tears of joy—encouraging people who at that point you know were really struggling and uh it's just it's just incredible to to be part of that community and then the second story um when I ran Chicago I set a new personal record this past Chicago and there were a bunch of folks from front runners New York my team who were there and we all met up for dinner afterward and one of the, this this young guy on the team was just a remarkable human being and a phenomenal runner i walked in and he had just run something. I think he ran like a 221, uh, somewhere right around there. He had just a phenomenal runner. And I walked into the restaurant and I was going to say, I can't believe, you know, and before I go, he's like, congratulations, you know, you just sat up here. And I'm thinking, this is such a testament to our community. Here's like a kid who just ran like a 221 and he's genuinely excited and like, you know, congratulating me on my performance, which was, you know, nearly uh, an hour, you know, uh, yeah slower, but, but it's, it's, it's so true. It's really, I just enjoy that so much about what we do as runners. And, um, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. What was your favorite race? Oh, you know, I'm asked this question a lot. I think so. Setting a PR in Chicago was great. I really can't tell you I have a favorite. Okay. Um running in Berlin, you know, yeah. running, you know, Berlin is Captain awesome Brigade. Yeah. I mean, it's like really I'm here, I'm doing this, you know. Uh London, you know, that that was great. I think Boston held uh, a particular uh strong uh, uh Place for me because, you know, as you know, it's such a rigorous qualifying time. Yes. So once I qualified for Boston, of course, you have to run it. Of course. And then running Boston was then what made me, it
0: was. It, you're a run, it, Once you run Boston, you're, you comfortably say you're a runner. Yeah,
1: totally. I, I was just going to say something very similar. And yeah. then it's like, oh, well, now I really can, if I want to, I really can run these six. World yeah. majors, like it was that day. I'm like, I'm going for it, you know, whatever yeah. it takes. I want to get that medal. Boston so-
0: was my seventh, and I said something uh-huh. to the tune of now it was my seventh marathon, but I was like, now I can tell people I'm a runner. And, yeah. I, and it, you know, I didn't feel comfortable saying it until, until I ran that course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I because
0: agree. It, it's, it's like a barrier, it's a mental barrier to entry, I should say. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So I totally get that. Um, you know, last question, as we wrap things up here, what has your running journey journey taught you most about yourself reflecting on now 52 years of life and everything that you've uh, accomplished to date and everything that you've overcome, you know, from some dark moments that many people out there may never come close to
1: experiencing. What has running taught you about yourself? Uh, it's taught me that I'm strong. It's taught me that I really can do anything I put my mind to, you know, I come up with a plan and I execute it. Um, and it's made me very much aware of what a survivor I am. Um, it, it's just, a it, it, it's the, it's just such a strong foundation for me um as you know be sure you're out on a run and the things you think about and the things you process you know i'll think of projects at work i'll think of relationships with a family member i'll have a conversation with a family member from maybe 10 years ago and and you know pick a different dialogue to result. i mean all these types of things that that happen when you run it's just made me aware that i'm i'm a strong individual um It's made me aware of my, my passions, my various passions. Um, and I hope I can do it forever. You know, it's just, uh, it's taught me so much about myself. Every time I go out on a run, especially on the days where I feel, Oh, I don't really want to do this. It's raining. It's like, why would I run? You know, or, or whatever you're tired or, you know, you, and those runs can often be the most rewarding because, you know, you lace up. You put one foot in front of the other, and before you know it, you're back home. And it's just taught me that whatever the obstacle is, you can you can get through it. I often think about running, and apply it to my life, whether it's work, relationships, uh, you know, any project. I I tend to break things down into a uh, like like a 16 week training plan. I, I break it down into steps, and then I just complete each step and before you know it there's another success you know to to throw in the in the in the bag and and uh so it it continues to teach me a great deal about myself it's really allowed me to love myself yeah um and it's from the feeling i get inside when i'm running and what i do for myself. And also, as we've hit upon so many times, that community, you know, to, to share that with other individuals, that translates to me such an awareness of self-love. And to really get to the point in one's life where you say, and you believe, and it's honest, I love myself. That's just phenomenal. Um And I, I really, I owe a lot to that from the gifts that running has brought me. Yeah.
0: And, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way, it's interesting how things come full circle, because in my opinion, as a fellow runner, and in, in my story is you went from an unhealthy addiction to a healthy addiction and and it's okay to be addicted to that feeling of, yeah, of yeah. self-love. I mean, there's a lot of humility that, that comes behind this kind of self-love. It's not because it's a self-love that's cultivated on, you know, failing over and over again. It's, it's a, it's a, it's yes. a self-love cultivated on making mistakes and not running your best race or, um, you know, having a bad training day. And, and so, yeah. you know, it, there's, There's not an arrogance behind it. It, it, It's a it's a humble form of self love. Oh, absolutely,
1: yeah. And and
0: so that's one of the things about it that makes it really special. You know, my last question to you, and you know, I I feel like we really could have closed out there on a wonderful note. But uh, (laughs) when you look back on on your story and in your journey and your life, um, is there a phrase or a word or um, a notion that you know, maybe you'd put on the cover of your own book or uh, something that, you know, you want your experience to really stand out to whether it be listeners of this show. And I'm sure this is not going to be the first time you're going to be on a platform and not the last time. And I I look forward to seeing you whenever you book your actual performance next year. Oh, I
1: hope you'll be there. You'll be
0: there. So, you know, I I guess round it out for us. Give us either a word, a phrase, um, a thought, Uh, something that rings true to you. I mean, in my case, break barriers was, was always kind of the mantra. Um, is there anything that rings true with you?
1: Yes. Um, continue to thrive. I really look at my life as, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go through life and then, you know, exist. I always focus on thriving. And so I'll tell myself, you got this continue to thrive you know, who knows what will come in the future. I, 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 you know, there, there, there will be many wonderful things that will come in the future. It's, uh, you know, that keep going, never give up. You got this continue to thrive. It's so important. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for coming on, for making the time you know, your vulnerability, uh, is going to resonate with, with so many listeners out there. I know it's resonated with me and I'm, I'm particularly grateful for the fact that, um, you didn't hold back. I mean, you, you know, yeah. you, you let us into some of the darker chapters of your life. Um, and, and that trust you have in in me and in, in this platform means a lot. So I just want to say, thank you.
1: Oh, uh, well, thank you. Yes. I, um, I do hope folks who need to hear this, will hear this. And also, I want to thank you. Uh, this has done such a great uh, deal for me. I've never really talked about this in such detail. So thank you for this platform and that gift. I feel free. And so um, I, I you're, you're doing such great work. Please continue. I, mean, I know you will. Um, but just hearing folks' stories is so important and so powerful. So I really, I owe the gratitude to you, my friend. Keep it up. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family and let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.